Hello, and welcome to the 13th episode, the lucky 13th episode of The Broadcast, a Chicago podcast dedicated to showcasing women who are making an impact on Chicago and their communities. I'm Becky Carroll, President and CEO of C-Strategies. I'm also your host. All of this is possible because of you, our amazing sponsors and partners, uh, We Will and Evolper, and of course, our podcast home, 1871, which is Chicago's premier hub for entrepreneurs, innovation, and technology. If this is your first time listening to the broadcast, welcome. We're glad you found us. And for those of you joining again, welcome back, and thanks so much for listening. So those that have been listening are no stranger to the fact that women make 80 cents for every dollar paid to a man, and for women of color, that wage gap is even larger. Women account for less than 30% of leadership opportunities across the country, and studies have shown that mothers with even one child lose tens of thousands to hundreds of thousands of dollars off their lifetime earnings. Meanwhile, domestic violence is a leading cause of injury to women, more than car accidents, muggings, and rapes combined. So victims of domestic violence lose a total of 8 million days of paid work each year, and between 21 to 60% of victims of intimate partner violence lose their jobs due to reasons stemming from this abuse. And of course, the overwhelming majority of victims are women. So today, we're going to talk to three women leading organizations that are changing the present and future for women and children here in Chicago and are tackling these very issues and more. So I am super excited to welcome Chicago Foundation for Women President and CEO, Kay Sujata, uh, Mujeres Latinas and Acción President and CEO, Linda Tortolero, and we will founder Alexandra Eidenberg. So welcome, ladies, to the broadcast. So happy to have you here. Thanks for having Thanks us. Thanks for having us. Yeah. So again, thank you so much for being here. And I'm really excited to get started with, with really such a stellar group of women in this room. I've heard, of course, I know Alexandra. I'm meeting Sujata and Linda for the first time. And I'm super excited because I've heard so much about you through mutual friends and whatnot. So to get started, I thought that, Sujata, I'd start with you. Obviously, your organization invests in women and girls um, as catalysts, building strong communities for all. So in the wake of Me Too and women's marches across the country, you know, equity issues for women um, is receiving more attention than ever, which is a good thing. How do you think the bright spotlight being placed on these issues is actually impacting women in general and the populations you serve? I, I guess there's a feeling of progress, but we're far from throwing in the towel. That's true. And thanks again. One of the things that has happened is this tremendous uprising, including the founding of We Will. And I'm really excited to hear more about your work. But the women's marches have really brought forth post-election. We've seen an amazing number of new leaders, new women leaders emerge. We're seeing unprecedented numbers of women running for public office in, in ways that I don't think we'd ever seen before. We are beginning to have these conversations about sexual harassment and power dynamics in the workplace, something I don't think was possible, you know, even three years ago, five years ago. And I think the for us, more importantly, there's this understanding about the issue of intersectionality. People are beginning to understand what that word is, about how differences and different identities like race, gender, and, and socioeconomic status are really all connected. And, and I think this public understanding is really going to 
sort of help us move a movement, create a movement that is broader in a way that the last women's movement wasn't. So I'm, I'm particularly excited by that. And so even at the local level, we've seen public attention that has helped to push some long-standing uh, issues that are now policy wins that we've not able to get through. The most public one is the Illinois ERA, mm-hmm. right? That we Yay, finally, finally right, yes. right. So <laughs> it took us, whatever, 30 plus years yes. to get here. The Senate and House both voted to prohibit employers from asking about salary history, another sort of way in which we think that it was going to impact the wage gap. And then finally, we at CFW and and other colleagues of ours who do this work are really excited by Governor Rauner signing the legislation to protect and expand reproductive justice and reproductive choice in Illinois and really sort of no, no matter what happens at the federal level, we now have a way of making sure that through HB 40, we, yeah, through yeah. HB 40, that women have the right to choose, and poor women will still have access to uh, to reproductive health. So one thing um, for me, it's really cool to see you ladies here because we've been on emails. We've been a part of so many of coalitions together. So it's great to put a face to both you, Linda and Sujata, um, where we're always on these emails fighting for, you know, the no salary history bill, fighting for ERA, fighting for HB 40 and to put a face to amazing people and just organizations that are coming together to do things. One of the things we teach our members is how to build coalitions and how to really move the needle forward. And I think that right now we're seeing more women come together than ever before, you know, if it's Trump is our catalyst or whatever it might be, we're seeing women stand up and be heard. And that's thing that we will has been focusing on for five years is helping women's voices be heard. And it's great. You know, I, I didn't think it was going to take a, a guy to empower women like that. But, um, you know, we'll take the catalyst we can in order to see the drive. But um, it's just it's great to see you ladies. And I didn't even put it together until I was like, wait a minute, I've seen these ladies on these emails as we're creating coalitions <laughs> and making things happen. Um, so just always amazing to, to see the power of numbers. Yeah. And, and that's the positive side but as you said there's much work still to be done yeah, right black women are still more likely to die die from breast and endometrial cancer than our white women there are a hundred you you began one of the things you t- talked about was the issue of domestic violence there are 120 reported incidents of domestic violence in chicago every single day think about the population size and in relation to that and then Women are still losing out on income because of the motherhood tax in the workplace mm-hmm. and for the 80 cents to the dollar. And more importantly, we'll talk about 49 mm-hmm. cents to the dollar when it comes to well, Latino or six, 63 cents to the dollar when it comes to African-American women. So equal payday is not in April. We really have to think about it in November right. when, right. when it really is. So, so mm-hmm. let's, let's make that happen. So, Linda, your organization has represented Latinas and their families in the Chicagoland area for over 40 years. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. I mean, it's also the longest existing organization of its kind in the country, too, which is equally amazing. In terms of the population of women you serve, what do you think progress needs to look like for them in order to get to that place of equity? Obviously, equal pay is, is something, right. but Economic it's, empowerment. it's much <laughs> different and, and much more complex for the women you serve. Right. I think there's along with economic empowerment, you have to think about language access. 
you know, education and training in Spanish or even having access to health information, whether it's enrolling in the Affordable Care Act or here in the state of Illinois. I mean, well, the county of Cook is CareLink, making sure mm-hmm. that that there is intentionality of having that. And there has to be intentionality behind efforts to include Latinas in civic engagement or the conversation. I think one of the things that was very not, you know, not surprising to us, but remarkable too to add is that we did an internal survey of our our participants and 82% of them didn't know what the Me Too movement was. And you have a prominent Latina like America Ferrara, who is a spokesperson, but she is not advocating for it in Spanish. So she's not reaching the Spanish speaking audience, which is still the majority of our participants and still a large portion of Latinas in the Chicagoland area in the United States. So that's part of it. it. (laughs) That's part of it. And you can tell them what, you, you know, yo también in Spanish and they still, you know, they want to know what it is, but they don't know what it is. So Me Too doesn't really mean a lot to Latinas. And I think it's also going back to when you think about the issues facing uh, Latina women or immigrant women or African-American women right now is the whole sense of, well, there are so many other issues that we're facing right now, and particularly in our communities, the immigrant crisis. That almost is, what do we what do we prepare for first? What's the first fight we're going to get into? Right. Because there's just so much happening. And you've got to pick battles, too. You can't fight five fronts at once. <laughs> no, it's. I think it's very difficult. But I think that if um, the women's coalitions can work together to be more intentional about including uh, women of color, as well as you know women who identify as LGBTQ, I think that mm-hmm. is really important as well. Um, and women with disabilities. Uh, conversation, I think that will help a great deal. Yeah. And that kind of gets also to your group too. I mean, when I first really got exposed to your group, I think I was kind of a new first time mom and I was like, oh, there's this organizations for moms who have businesses. I'm like, wow, this could really like, you know, be an inspiration for me. And, and it's really grown and expanded. You've moved from mom plus baby now to we will. So you can be more inclusive of, of all these different issues that we're talking about now. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, we kind of realized we were all going to age out of our own organization because we weren't always going to have a baby. So (laughs) that transition to We Will, you know, kind of started off with, hey, we're not going to always have babies, but it really became women on, you know, all walks of life and at all ages wanted to engage. And what we realized was is that engagement, where the problem begins is a lot during those childbearing years. You're being affected in the workplace. Your ability to, you know, climb is being affected. And then once you do have the kids, your connection to the community and the environment really changes. And so really meeting women there, but realizing that women for generations have gone through this struggle. And so women of all ages really wanted to be involved. And um, you know that I took a really proud leap this year where I am the founder my organization, but I just passed the baton to two of my best friends who are now president and vice president of the organization. And a lot of what I feel like has been going on, and I've been a women's rights activist, you know, since the womb. I mean, my mom's been like raising me on this stuff. But one of the bigger things that's really come to a head, um, and for me, you know, I think I, I really saw it more once Donald Trump became president. But as a mom, you're always having these really big conversations with your kids and conversations about the community and how they're accepting their information. I had four kids in four years. I have a lot of young kids. And so, you know, you always want to tread lightly, but also educate them. And we, pa- I passed the baton to my two best friends. And so part of that is me understanding 
navigating white privilege and just really kind of understanding that footing. And I, Trump kind of helped me understand white privilege more. And I think that was a really important transition for me. And I see it not only through my own living, but through my children's lives now. And that's a really interesting experience. And so we do a lot of events. We have a whole equity series. We actually have an event coming up where we're going to be talking about how do you talk to your children about race. And a lot of the women in our organization are raising their children in that legislative movement. We're bringing them to Springfield. We're bringing them to these meetings. And you can't expect the questions to not come afterwards. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and I think that these these questions have been going on for generations. And so, you know, I'm experiencing it for the first time because I do have young kids. But I, you know, I passed the baton of my organization, you know, to uh, uh, someone who's Puerto Rican and someone who's African-American. And so almost our organization overnight, I didn't even see this, but it was kind of this new awakening that we're now almost like a minority ran business and how that changes our dynamic in the market. And one of the biggest reasons why I was excited about it is it's a little bit hard as a white chick to be talking about <laughs> racial equity all the time. Right. And so <laughs> I was excited for us to take this transition. But along with this transition on being able to have harder conversations has also come the fact that we're now treated as a minority mm-hmm. organization. And so there, we're being seen through that lens and I'm getting to live that lens and particularly with my best friend Carmen I mean we've been out at the grocery store at times with our kids and my family is being totally treated differently than her family and I'm probably the one you got to look out for so (laughs) I'm the one who's sampling way too many olives at the olive bars so um and I think that that that's just a very easy example of teaching white privilege to my own children about like you can go take the olive sample and no one's watching and wondering and questioning you whereas Carmen's kids can't and so we really take on those hard conversations in our organization and we empower women to have those chats and also um, be heard. And I think that we've all been raised in that way where, you know, us women, we don't get to be as loud and boisterous and as vocal and often feel submissive on topics. And so we help women get those legs and feel empowered and speak out. And it's amazing. We've helped women testify in Springfield and that voice that made it so a bill got out of committee and that it got to the floor. And it's just, it's really just, it's terrific seeing all these women um, shine and be heard. And I think it really is the women's hour to be heard. And I'm excited that we're there. Like I said, I'm, I'm still kind of bothered that it took this dude Trump right, right, to get us there at some rate but um like whatever catalyst is there I'm excited to see more engaging well uh, talking about giving voice to women and whatnot obviously your organizations have you know real deep programs that touch women and the issues and challenges that they're facing every day and I would love for listeners who don't know enough about what you do to give us a little bit more background in each of your organizations and maybe some of the programs people might be listening, could benefit from it, or at least spread the word about it. So tell us a little bit more. Sure. So we have five core programs at Mujeres Latinas en Acción, uh, domestic violence, sexual assault, family engagement, which is really grassroots organizing, as well as a Latina entrepreneurship program called Empresarias del Futuro. And our last program is really dedicated to helping parents and parent support and supervised visitation. One of the things that we found was really fundamental in the last 10 years is moving away from not just providing referrals or how assistance on how to you know sign up for government benefits but really allowing especially survivors of violence opportunities to become financially dependent and so we provide entrepreneurship classes in Spanish to women who already have businesses or would like to start their own businesses. And we have two different levels. Um, They're 15-week programs. And actually, right now, they are on the Riverwalk, hopefully selling many of their goods and services. (laughs) And that's the kind 
of stuff that we want to see happen because it's not enough to to just provide them the way to overcome tragedy you have to provide them a window for them to actually open and 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 leave those situations and, and be independent in their own right even if they're in in loving families because the economics usually i think get in the way of women being able to leave especially when you have children and you you're putting them and their well-being first instead of maybe going out on the streets which obviously mm-hmm. so women will persevere right for and those I, reasons. I mean women are the heads of their families in most cases why not women being the you know the heads of their businesses and right now we do, we we just didn't see that there was enough being done mm-hmm. to encourage entrepreneurship among Latinas in Spanish mm-hmm. you know there are programs you know for more established Latina entrepreneurs but not for women who are excited are motivated but just need someone to guide them along the process well can I ask you really quick then to sure. like given that Trump has put such a spotlight now on immigrant issues in ways that we've never really seen for a very long time. Has that helped to shine also more light on your work and get more people to want to be engaged to step up and raise their hand and be helpful? I think so. I think that right now there is a lot of interest in the fact that immigrants don't have a space really to actively engage. And so when you see any efforts to diminish their participation or make them seem like, you know, when, you know, Trump called Mexicans rapist, people really act you know, in reaction to that. So I think that there's a lot of goodwill. But at the same time, too, I think that we have to start having these hard conversations about sometimes people really don't think that women should have a role in business or mm-hmm. in, in in government. The same thing, they, they see, feel the same about women of color or people mm-hmm. of other races or identities. And I think that we have to really start having that conversation. So it's not enough to just, you know, be involved and, and repost on social media or give a donation. It's kind of a little bit with Alex was saying, you have to have these conversations mm-hmm. that are really difficult and you have to be intentional about having those conversations. And I don't think we're there yet. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's like yeah. the the path is there. But and that's why I was curious, because I had a feeling that you were going to say, you know, there's more interest, but it's not like people are pounding down the door. And, mm-hmm. and that's an issue. And I think that happens sometimes when something doesn't happen to someone personally, right. yeah. they can't relate. And that's why you have to have these conversations, because, I mean, we do have empathy. Right. Mm-hmm. And that we does do. help we us. Do. Open the door. And I think I th- to, to your point, you know, I heard this phrase about rage donations or raid charity, which somehow is not <laughs> affecting organizations like Mujeres or uh, others. But they're certainly, thank God, they're at least supporting organizations like the ACLU or Planned Parenthood, which is equally important. So a little bit about Chicago Foundation for Women. You introduced us as working to invest in women and girls as catalysts. So the long view of what we're trying to do is to get to gender equity in our region within a generation. And of course, we understand that this is not something that we can do alone. Mm-hmm. We do it with, with all of you, and each one of us has a role to play. And in so in addition to our grant making, Mujeres is a longtime grantee yes. of the foundation <laughs> doing tremendous work, as you just heard. We are also investing in the next generation of women leaders, particularly women leaders of color. And this is about giving women the, the tools and the skills to be advocates, advocates for the issues that they care about, to organize in their communities, to lead and grow strong and effective and sustainable solutions. And particularly in in communities that have been that have seen decades of neglect that have vast amounts of assets but have certainly never had the opportunity 
we believe that the problems that face a region that are considered intractable, whether it's violence, economics, insecurity, must come and must be led by the community and from the community. So that's where we're sort of equipping women to lead. And uh, we've trained over a thousand women over the past several years since the creation of what we call the Women's Leadership Initiative. Mm -hmm. We will be launching later this year um, a program, a leadership program called Willie's Warriors, particularly aimed at African-American women. Is that for Willie Barrow? It's, Reverend it's, Willie it's, Barrow? Yes, yeah. it's actually <laughs> named after the Reverend Willie Barrow, who was called the Little Warrior. Yeah. Um, we, we've been fortunate enough to get a bequest uh, from her estate. And so that's how we're using those funds. And we're very excited. The applications are up. So if your listeners are uh, interested, they should apply for yeah. a position to get on this leadership fellowship. So what would be like an ideal candidate for something like that? Yeah, so the ideal candidate, really, we're looking for someone with 10 years of experience who is interested in changing something within their community. They can be working in any sector, whether it's public, private, whether you're working in government, nonprofit, mm -hmm. or, or in the corporate sector. But part of it is bringing together a cohort of women leaders to advance their uh, leadership as well as for them to work together. So that's sort of the idea behind this work. It's it's about three or four months long. It really is, we're very excited, I should say, to do this. Yeah, well, there are, are similar types of things like Leadership Greater Chicago and others. And it's amazing, like for Leadership Greater Chicago, how many friends I have in that I've seen. And they, they really do stick together over yeah. the years, but it becomes mm -hmm. like a legacy also for right. organizations right. like yours that are building this and building yeah. that kind of goodwill. Mm -hmm. So in the event that someone, you know, does want to volunteer or get involved and get engaged, how, how do they... What's that, how, what's that door they have to walk through for Chicago Foundation for Women? So let me just say the very first door and the very common door for many people who get involved with CFW is our luncheon. We have a luncheon yes. in the fall. We pack the room. I've we, been there. <laughs> we, we, we pack the room. If you haven't been there, you should come. This year it's September 18th. The theme this year is Truth and Dare. Uh, and our featured speaker is Ali Reisman, who oh, has right. dared to speak the truth yes. uh, and, and an amazing, amazing young woman. But then we also have amazing partners and amazing grantees and amazing uh, women leaders who are speaking and daring to do what is considered the impossible. And so that's sort of the easiest way to enter. And then we also suggest that there are many ways to give, and I'm sure Linda will, will talk more about this, but one of the things is, you know, domestic violence is so prevalent. It happens uh, so frequently, but it's also a very hard thing if you are an observer, if you're a member of the family, to stay connected. So that's a place that you really can stay with the survivor. That's a place that you can really support the survivor. Mm -hmm. When you say see something, they say say something, but in this particular case, be supportive. And and sometimes it's very hard to stay supportive over the long term, but I think it's truly, truly important because that survivor can impact so many lives, not mm -hmm. only their families, but their communities. Well, and that's one of the questions I wanted to be able to ask, which you, you kind of answered on your end. It's like for women who may not always be able to say, 
put in 10 hours a week to an organization or even give money? Like, what can they just do in their everyday, you know, life? And that is one of them. Just be supportive. So so tell us more, too. Sure. So we have a Latina leadership program. And what we do is we enroll many survivors of domestic violence or sexual assault who have overcome that moment of crisis and are ready to take ownership of something that they want to change in their communities or in the schools that their children go to. And they're really champions of anything from, you know, issues that are facing women or immigrant rights or health access. And we we train them and then they take the fight forward. And that's what we really want to see, that they understand that they have an important role, that despite maybe low education or low income or the, the fact that they have been they have suffered such abuse they still can are uh, change agents Mm -hmm. and that they need to make sure that their voices are heard and fight that good fight how many women on average and maybe you're you know i know you Mm -hmm. serve women but i mean men are also victims as well but how many do you end up serving would you say so we serve directly um close to five thousand people a year um but mostly in our domestic violence and sexual assault um, programs we have a waiting list on domestic violence right now there are not enough spanish-speaking services and as the latino population has expanded it's it's becoming more difficult but what we have done is we opened up a small site in south chicago which i'm very excited about it's actually the 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 oldest latino community in chicago is south chicago and there were no sexual assault services. So we've hired a counselor and we're training a therapist who will be starting in a couple weeks. And they'll be serving individuals from South Chicago, the South Side, the Southern suburbs where there's lots of Latinas and even Northwest Indiana where, you know, we get federal dollars. And we're very, very much excited about that. And we hope that in the future we can expand the leadership program to those areas as well. I love hearing that because I know Polly Poskin, who, you know, runs the Illinois Coalition Against Sexual Assault. And so many organizations took a really hard financial hit because of the budget crisis over the right. last couple of years. There was one center in Southern Illinois that shut down. It was literally the only place for women to go with it and their children for like 50 miles. So, mm-hmm. you know, even being able to like open up one location in an area like South Chicago, that's going to be a lot of lives that are going to be, you know, help. So, so also tell us about, you know, how is it that women can get in? So I think one of the biggest things that we will, um, you know, bring to table is we really have that women supporting women collaboration. And so I'm really excited because I'm already brainstorming ways to collaborate with both of you mm-hmm. and your amazing organizations. Carmen, who is, you know, is the vice president, we will, um, she's also my business partner at my insurance agency and my best friend. We often sign each other up for things. I'm totally going to sign her up to help these women who want to learn about business. We've been one of the That's only- That's a really great idea because so yeah. many of your members and almost all your board members are business. Yes, we are about 80% small business owners. And so if that's that solopreneur or someone who has, you know, 50 plus employees, we really bring that variable to the table. But Carmen is what, you know, and, you know, she's this amazing person. She's got four kids. She started her family at, you know, 17 and she's just proven the system wrong and she's just been such a fighter. And I think that often you need to kind of see that person to help you go there as well. So I'm going to be making sure that I do an email introduction so she can immediately collaborate and maybe- 
train some new business owners. I think that that's really what WeWill is all about is opening up doors mm-hmm. for women. And our logo is a couple W's coming together. It kind of looks like a Wonder Woman logo. But it really has to do with women supporting women and meeting each other where we're at and saying yes to each other's yes. I think that so often, um, and I kind of like when it something happened to us all in high school where our Dukes are just constantly up. We go to that competitive breaking down atmosphere versus the collaboration and the helping one another. And so we will really try to help women support each other. And we do that with a variable of different events. We do about a dozen events a month. We have an equity series that Cassandra from our board puts on. And we do legislative coffee dates, which are our most popular um, way to engage. It's 90 minutes. Um, at all of our events, we cover the food and child care. We never want people's financial and their economic status to hinder them from having their voice be heard. And so we get together with a legislator for 90 minutes and we talk shop and we help them engage. Unless they don't show up. Unless the legislator doesn't show up because they voted against week. ERA. We won't name any names, but she did not vote yes for ERA. Right. Um, if that helps you in any yes. way. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I think that it really um, teaches women, where do you go when you have a question? How do you get heard? And, you know, I think that quite a few people, um, which I always love, and one of our um, previous board member, Rebecca, said, we can't just keep hosting these events and, ma- and thinking that people can get there. So, you know, we're providing rides, we provide the food, we provide child the childcare. Care, child care, and yeah. so, you know, it's really helping women that don't typically have a voice have that voice, and that's really critical for us. We have over 7,000 members, and, you know, I, I will say that we definitely doubled in volume after Trump won. I mean, like, women were looking for a place to engage and be heard, and we were like, here we are. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, I'm very, you know, I'm um, grateful for our growth, but with growth grows, you know, challenges and learning. And so one of the things that we've really learned, you know, we're a bipartisan organization. Mm-hmm. And so where do you, where do you meet on women's rights initiatives? And, you know, we are pro-equity and we are pro-choice. And so we've worked on initiatives like HB40. We, you know, worked on pro-vaccination bills. We're also working on home birth and other various efforts. And so, you know, there's so much to be done. Um, and, you know, it, there's so many topics that come to the table. And depending on, you know, Know if you're green, blue, red, how far left, how far right, you'll find a topic to engage in in our organization. And, you know, not, you know, our board members kind of pick their passions. I remember fighting to remove tampon taxes and thinking, well, you know, sure all you know not everyone's into this right. one but you know you gotta that be pass, surprisingly right right, right. right. yes something um, so. about removing taxes when we're you know burdened with debt there it's yes. challenging so but we've really taken on a variable of different initiatives and we take on about 10 initiatives a year per session and help our members learn to propose understand and pass legislation and so it's kind of like lobbying light and we kind of meet people where they're at and help them engage and do busloads to Springfield to be heard so if someone does want to help out where yeah. do they go what do they do what's the best window yeah to do um, we will women.org and so you can find out about all our great events on the website one of the biggest ways a lot of our members engage is through our Facebook group you can also find the Facebook group on our website we will women.org and on there on our Facebook group it's really just this live conversation of what are some of the issues in your community and how do we talk about them how do we create coalitions how can we rally around those causes 
And I think that Facebook is really this place where women can come no matter what time of day it is. So you could be up at 1 a.m. nursing your baby or you could finish your, you know, third shift and get on there and still be a part of the conversation. And so we've got about 4,000 women in our Facebook group and it's there's a lot of powerful conversations. Today's hot topic actually has to do with the ointment that goes into your eye when you're a baby and women uh, not wanting to put the ointment in their baby's eye and now DCFS. Once the baby's born, yes. And so now if you refuse the ointment, DCFS is called and the effects of DCFS, depending on who you are, are very different. And so this is a large (laughs) conversation. (laughs) Who knew? Some ointment could really put, you know. Something in the DCFS ointment. DCFS on your tail. Right? Exactly. <laughs> they have plenty um, to be doing yeah, exactly. in real cases, which right. they're not. So Yes, um, exactly, Becky. <laughs> so, which, yes, unfortunately, we all know because we read all the stories. So for your organization, Linda, like, what's a great foot in the door and how can people help and where will they go? Sure. We encourage volunteerism of all kinds, whether you want to travel with us to Springfield and learn what it's like to do advocacy with our, our promotoras or our leaders. That's one way. But, you know, we are so grateful to our volunteers and our, you know, undergraduate and graduate level interns who work with us and directly with survivors of domestic violence and sexual assault. They go through either our 42-hour training for sexual assault or domestic violence and they participate in these hotlines and we honestly could not serve the numbers that we serve without our volunteers and interns so that's one way and you meet new friends Mm -hmm. and you really begin to understand what service is about especially when it's working towards helping women I think the other thing that is just really meaningful too is when you're empowering young women who want to be leaders I know there's a board boot camp and uh, our board chair as well as our director of development went earlier this week to Chicago Foundation for Women, their board boot camp. But we are very, very privileged to have 42 young Latina professionals, many of um, the first generation professionals, first generation college graduates who are on our Young Professional Advisory Council. And to think that, you know, you have to, right, you think you have to, you know, they have to apply, they have committees and they they really learn a lot about what we do and they really take ownership of how they can help Mujeres. So if there are young women um, and we welcome young men too who are really passionate about our mission, you know, that's, I know enrollment period will come later this year and maybe we'll increase it up to 50. We have to have manageable <laughs> groups, right. but yes, yes, I yes. would encourage that. Still have that. to make it work. Uh, yes, right? manage people is a lot of work. <laughs> yes. Well, I can't believe, like I told you, this was just going to fly by. I feel like I just can keep going on and on about everything that you guys are working on, and I'm really happy that you all got together in the same room. Obviously, you're already working together. I'm sure there are ways, you know, for for you guys to be helpful and hopeful, just for folks that hopeful that folks who listen to our show have really learned something that they could take away from about the issues that are really impacting what because all we hear a lot about is me too right I mean but it's Mm -hmm. a gateway almost to talk about these issues which is a good Mm -hmm. thing too and especially talking about issues that in particular impact women of color which often take a back seat to some of the others so Mm -hmm. I hope everyone who's listening checks out all your sites gets involved gets engaged and I'm sorry it comes to an end, but I want to thank again our guests for coming, Kay Sujata, Linda Tortolero, and Alexandra Eidenberg for your important work and sharing your stories today. So again, the broadcast
podcast is brought to you by C-Strategies LLC, a strategic communications and public affairs firm bringing passion and veteran experience to help clients meet their business goals. Our sponsors are WeWill, which empowers women and children to get involved in the legislative process by affording them opportunities to have their voices heard, and Evolve Her, Chicago's only creative co-working space for women. So thank you to our podcast host, 1871. The broadcast is produced and edited by Tweed Thornton. Thank you, Tweed. Additional editing provided by Nicholas Fedora. And music is by Christy Bennett's Thumi Gypsy Project. And to learn more about C-Strategies and the broadcast, find us on Facebook and Twitter at C-Strategies LLC and visit CStrategiesLLC.com. And thanks again for listening. So come, let the world